Good evening everyone. Hello. It's Top Tip Tuesday. This is Charlotte and this is Instagram Live. I'm so sorry I'm a few minutes late this evening. I hadn't realised. <laughs> Hi Joe. Um, I hadn't realised that uh, it was half past eight. So I'm so sorry for being late. Um, good evening Joe. How are you? And this evening we're going to talk about meal times um, in the Montessori way. So that means, hi Glambox, good evening, nice to see you again. So in uh, Montessori, we Montessori meal times. So we're going to talk about. Hi Nunam, how are you? Thank you for joining. Nice to see you again. We're going to be talking about food preparation. We're going to talk about everything about mealtimes. We're going to talk about food preparation. We are going to talk about um, the table or chair that the ch children are going to be sitting at. We are going to be talking about feeding them or not feeding them as the case may be. And we're going to talk about the materials that they're going to be eating from. So, um, thank you for the heart. Um, where should we start? I've written lots and lots of notes as per usual and tried to put them in some semblance of order. So let's start. Actually, does anyone have any questions before we start? Let's start with questions. If you do, then don't hesitate to type them now, um, just in case there's something you want to get in quickly. So I'll wait for a moment because I know typing takes a long time. So where can we start? Oh, the video that I posted two days ago of um, uh, my friend Aziz's daughter, Leila, eating. You will have noticed, if you saw it, so it was on my feed two days ago, you will have noticed that she's sitting on a, sitting at a low table on a low chair. So she's very close to the floor. And you can't see it in the video, but her feet are on the floor. So let's um, talk about, firstly, sitting at... Uh, low table. Let's start there. So, um, in the Montessori way, we want children to be able to gain autonomy, to be as independent as possible. We don't mean emotionally independent, we mean capable. We want them to be as capable as possible from a young age. They are incredibly capable and those of you who have small children know how incredibly capable they are when we can give them the opportunity to do to, to be so. So what we really want is to avoid any activity, anything which makes our children passive. And of course, picking them up and putting them into a high chair makes them very, very passive. They can't be involved in the preparation of the food. They can't be involved in the serving of food, any of that. So this is why the high chair, um, certainly for a first feeding experience, is not appropriate. Um, for your first eating experience for a Montessori child. Um, so what we did with um, well, what's done in the Montessori classroom and, and what um, I did with Olivia and Harry is their first experiences are at the low table. Now, you could buy a, a special weaning table, which is a, a height and then a weaning chair. We got the weaning chair because it's a low height. It's got sturdy handles so it doesn't fall over. They can pick it up themselves. Um, we didn't buy a special table, we just had a coffee table. If you can buy, if you want to buy this full table, go for it by the table. But we just um, had a coffee table which was the perfect height. So they could tuck underneath um, and gradually they learned to tuck their chair in, but that comes a bit later. So 
the beauty of this is that you'll tell them 5, 10, 15 minutes in advance that it's going to be meal time. And then when they're hungry, they'll go over to the table themselves and they'll climb in their chair or try to climb in their chair. So they're crawling, they might not be able to get all the way in, but they will show you that they want to get in. They'll get half in and then you can help them. And then you're going to sit either on a low stool or cross-legged opposite them. You want to be as much as possible at their eye level. So I always used to just sit on the floor or on a yoga block if, if, uh, if my hips weren't feeling comfortable that day. Um, and the, the reason for this is you want to maintain that eye contact. You want to be at the same table. You don't want to have you know, a high chair with a tray as a barrier between you. You don't want to have any barriers, barriers emotionally, spiritually, physically between you and your child. And it's literally just this, this focus of eating, enjoying the food together. So what you're going to do is you're going to eat, your child is going to eat the same food that you would have. You obviously don't add any salt in it and you're not adding sugar in it. You're not adding heavy spices. Um, according to the culture that you're coming from, spices may be a big part of your culture. So of course you're going to want some spicing in there, but you don't want to make it so spicy that it's going to, well, one, they're not going to like it. And even if they do like it, they're going to have an upset tummy. So um, you, it doesn't need, the food doesn't need to be bland, it needs to be um, culturally appropriate. What do you normally eat? You don't need to, um, and those of you who've done baby lead weaning will know this, you know, you don't need to um, give your baby, you know, pureed pumpkin for a week and all this other stuff for a week, you know, if, if there's no allergies or no reason to do that, you literally can just go into the normal food that you are eating on a day-to-day -day basis. There's no need to do anything special unless, for example, your pediatrician has advised it because of allergies in the family. If you um, are in a situation that we, we were, we had no allergies, um, nothing of concern, so I literally just cooked the same food that I always do, and then Olivia and Harry would just eat what we ate as the family meal. Um, and that meant that when they were at the, the, the weaning chair and the weaning table, I would also have a little bit of, their, of the same food as them as well. So that's really important for us to have. It's not like a, there's no separation there. It's not that they're eating and they're eating something special. It's we're all eating the same thing. Even if it wasn't my normal time to have my supper or lunch or what have you, I would just make the effort to have a couple of spoonfuls with them um, on the same with the same cutlery they were using, with the same crockery they were using, um, so that they have this shared experience. It's not, it just feels really natural, you know, it feels like part of a, a community thing to do. They're an active participant in it. And then when you're eating together and you're eating the same thing together, you can have conversations about what flavours you can, what flavours you can smell, what can you smell in the food, what can you um, uh, taste in the food, what do you think is in it, and this is all part of the, I mean, everything about Montessori and you guys have been following me and you know that I keep saying this, it's all about a learning with all um, of the senses in the first um, six years of life, five to six years of life. So anything that engages the senses and then mealtime is just so amazing, isn't it, for engaging the senses because um, you've got them all in, in, included and with babies, you know, and we'll come on to this point in a moment, but they're going to be eating with their hands initially and this is to be encouraged it's not to be discouraged of course they're going to get food all over their hands all over their arms they're going to get spaghetti in their hair you know all of that but it doesn't matter the important thing is that they're feeding themselves they're doing it for themselves 
We don't need to teach them how to feed themselves because they've seen us do it. Say then they start eating at seven months, six months, seven months, whenever it is you decide is right for you and your family and for your baby. They would have seen you eating. They know that the food needs to go into their mouth. They've either been breastfed or they've been bottle fed. They know the food needs to go into the mouth. So you do, we don't need to feed them. We don't need to put food in their mouth from our hands and we don't need to feed them with a spoon or a fork. They know what to do. The motor control might not be there yet. The coordination might not be there yet, but we don't need to feed them. And that's something I really, really want to get across. And and this is this is what baby led weaning says, you know, we don't we, we want them to be an active participant in the eating process because there's such joy and there's such community and there's so many social skills and emotional skills to be learned in the joy of eating, the pleasure of food, the um, sensorial experience, everything about it is so enriching, enjoying food together. Um, and so many cultures around the world have such a rich um, culture and tradition around food as well. And I was going to talk about that later, but actually let's say it now. Um, one of the things that we do at home is say a grace, um, which is, uh, um, for us, it's non-religious, a non-religious grace, or um, a song or a poem before every mealtime. And it's our ritual, and I've done it since the children were tiny. And it really, and we, I started that because we did it at, our, at the school I taught it in Cape Town. We, we started doing that. And before that, actually, when I taught in London, in Islington, we did it at that school. So that's probably where I got it from, the school in Islington, actually. Um, and it was so, and it's so gorgeous because then we've, with different families, the beauty of being here in Dubai, we've learned different graces and different languages. And so we've got this amazing repertoire of about eight different graces we can say in different languages. It's really, uh, it's really, really fun. Um, and that is a a way of um, bringing everyone together at the beginning of the meal, sort of very early introduction to, you know, giving thanks for the people that have picked our food um, and brought it to us and the farmers and all the different people involved in that um, in that process. And now Olivia, almost six, and Harry at three and a half, you know, we're having conversations about where our food comes from, when we're, when we're actually eating something, who are the people we 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 want to thank for that journey that that's come from the field onto our plate and um this is you know conversation that a five six year old does understand harry's sort of almost there but for olivia it makes it very very real for her really real for her and she can understand it as well because she's getting much more into um a different stage of development where she can imagine uh, imagine things and fantasy and things like that so it's so valuable, just these small things like a little poem. Um, I'll share some of our graces actually on, on stories. Maybe that's what I'll do later this evening. That's a good idea. Um, so a grace, something to bring you together at the beginning of the meal. That's really, really important. You've got your, low, uh, your weaning chair and your low table so that you are eye to eye as much as possible with your child. You're eating the same thing. And what you're eating from is real plates. Um, I mean crockery, ceramic, ceramic plates, um, sorry I'm saying plates but I mean bowls, ceramic bowls, um, glassware, proper glassware, tiny little glasses for a little child uh, of you know eight months a year, a shot glasses, even up to Piccolini, a shot glass is sufficient. If you don't have any shot glasses, you know these tiny jam jars that you get little, um, that you get jamming, you use miniature, almost like sample, hotel sample jams. 
that size, just a little drop of water um, in there, and then they learn to drink from a glass. They don't need a sippy cup or a beaker or anything else. The great thing about glass and ceramic is it has a weight to it. You know, it has a, um, a nice feeling to it, this nice weight to it. And when there's a weight to something, they're less likely to want to throw it across the room. They already are at a low table, so the desire to drop things on the floor isn't the same as it is when they're in a high chair. When they're up in a high chair and, for example, their legs are dangling as well, they feel completely removed from this process and it's very, very passive, um, just literally being, being fed something. Um, if we think about it as an adult, that wouldn't actually be a very enjoyable experience. So going back to the, th the food throwing and the throwing of the plates and things, they're not going to want to do it as much um, because they are low down. It's, you know, if you're, what's that, half a foot off the floor, it's really not that interesting actually throwing your piece of roasted sweet potato on the floor or throwing, trying to throw something uh, across the room. If you're in a high chair, it's really exciting to drop things and throw things on the room. But if you're actually pretty much at floor level, it's, it's not as interesting. So again, that takes that layer of, um, of extra resistance out. You know, it's just, it becomes a distract, being up high becomes a distraction and you don't want any other distractions in this, in this scenario. Um, let's now talk about uh, why the Montessori method of eating, why Montessori mealtimes work for picky eaters. So if you have what somebody would call a picky eater or a fussy eater, which is a term I, ha I hate, but um, we, what we're going to do is we involve our child in every part of the food preparation, every part of the food experience. And this is what happens very naturally in a Montessori classroom. So children will be preparing their own snack communally. I mean, they won't be at the moment because of COVID, but normally they would be preparing um, their communal snack. So what would happen is a, a, um, a child would bring a different piece of fruit or vegetable or whatever the, the guide has asked them to bring in, and then they will prepare it collectively, and then they will eat it collectively. Um, and uh, it's so extraordinary, the amount of parents that would say to me, I can't believe how much they eat when they're at school because they don't eat anything at home. And at home they don't eat broccoli and they don't eat anything that's, I don't know, got a red skin or all these different things. But when you come into a classroom environment, there's lots of children there and they're involved in the food preparation. They're involved in laying the table. They're involved in making the table look pretty with some flowers from the garden or the terrace. You know, all of these things. It brings it into such a, um, a beautiful sense of community and this sense of togetherness that we may not know how to reproduce at home. Um, but how we do that at home is from a very, very early age involving them in the food prep. Um, this is going to sound scary, but a child, once our child has got good motor control and intentionally grasping, a child of eight or nine months, if they're sitting comfortably and you can sit them on a low table and you can supervise them, a young child can use a, a, a safe knife, so a knife with two handles. You can show them how to cut watermelon, something very soft, or banana, something very, very soft, with, um, with a knife, with a safe child knife. From a very, very, very young age, you have a, a child-sized chopping board, they're at their low table, they're completely safe, you're right next to them. And this all brings in this love of food. So you prepare your snack with them every day, whatever they're having for their snack. Um, 
and of course it needs to be the the fruit that you're going to prepare needs to be prepped a little bit by you in the beginning so your watermelon you need to cut this that it's really or end up melon it's really easy to, for a child to cut um, so you just need to cut the skin off initially and then put it in a bowl so they can transfer it and then start chopping it you know on the board and then put it into another bowl obviously for a child younger than two they're going to do more eating than chopping and that's fine that's what happens but the fact that they are fully engaged in this process of food preparation it, it just sort of melts away any type of resistance at, um, at mealtimes and around eating. And of course, they're going to have their preferences of this they like and this they don't like, like we do. You know, there's, um, I don't eat meat, for example. I've been vegetarian for, for donkey's years, but I still love lots of other food. I don't turn down everything, you know, and this is what happens with our children. They're going to have a few things that they like and they don't like. But we, when we make them involved in every part of the process every part of the process is enriching um, whether it's laying the table whether it's um, preparing the food itself whether it's them being able to crawl to the table walk to the table and sit themselves down um, when they're ready all of this involvement means that um, it just melts away this resistance they don't feel the need to push back or throw food or do all these other things um, because they don't feel in control now when they are more in control, now when they're fully engaged in this process, this is when um, they can really enjoy food and you can really enjoy mealtimes as well. Excuse me one moment, I'll see what other um, things I want to say. Mm. Do jump in if you have any questions. Um, so cutlery. Um, as soon as they can hold a spoon, um, uh, you know, intentionally in their grass. So say, for example, you're starting um, them on solids at, eight, at six months. So um, you offer them a spoon. Um, what we do in Montessori is this beautiful placemat, and you can do it at home really, uh, really easily. What we do is we just have a, a placemat where it's an outline of the bowl, it's an outline of the glass, an outline of the spoon. So then over time, and then when you lay the table with them, um, initially when they're when they're tiny tiny when they're crawling and you'll show them this goes here this goes here this goes here you can do it on a piece of paper you know that's no problem do it on a piece of paper what you do um, what you have on the Montessori courses is that they make a placemat and they and then embroider it on um, so on the outline it's really really beautiful I might add that I didn't do that for my, <laughs> I didn't do that for my children I had someone else make one for me um, but it's really, really beautiful. And this placemat then shows them where everything goes, where the bowl goes, where the spoon goes, where the fork goes, where the glass goes. And this is really important for their sense of order. Um, they, things need to be in the correct place for them. And this all adds to their sense of autonomy. They're able to do things for themselves when they know what to expect. They know what their expectations are of them and they know what to expect. So... I've digressed and I can't remember what I was saying. Oh yes, so with the spoon, so what will happen is, and this is a little tip actually that um, one of my trainers in Cape Town told me, is to always offer two spoons. Some children, um, <laughs> um, some children, I'll come to you in a moment, Hannah. Um, some children will love to hold one spoon and then eat 
with the other hand or use another spoon to actually feed themselves. And this is completely normal. Some children just like to hold one spoon. So always offer two spoons because if they're holding it and that's what they need to do for their security or safety or whatever it is at that moment, then offer them another spoon. Or if they want to eat with their hands, that's fine as well. Really very much until they're a lot older, however they're eating, you know, whether it's with or without cutlery, it doesn't matter, you know. Um, I was just thinking of Harry and Olivia. Olivia's with her with her hands. You know, I mean, she's almost six now. I'm thinking almost until like four and a half, five. She's perfectly good at uh, using cutlery. And if we went to someone else's house, then she would use cutlery. But at home, she preferred to use hands. And then Harry at three and a half, he's he's mainly using using cutlery now, but. What I mean is, you know, when we first hand a child, our child a spoon at age six months, um, they're not going to be using it consistently every time. You know, it's till three, four, five. And in terms of using cutlery correctly, as it were, a knife and fork correctly, I mean, that is much later. You know, Olivia's pretty much there at age, almost age six, you know. So um, we don't need to have any expectations that they're going to be doing any of this perfectly, any of this in a way that... Um, I don't know, our grandparents would approve of something like that. Um, so provide the cutlery, but know that they might not use it. As long as they are feeding themselves, that's all that is important. Um, Hannah, when will my daughter stop turning her plate over? She is 14 months old. So my question would be to you, Hannah, is um, are you using ceramic? Would be one question. Is she doing it throughout the meal um, or is she showing you that she's finished? Um, is she sitting on a low table or her feet securely on the floor? Um, and also, if you have a problem with the plate being turned over a lot, then you know when Harry was tiny, tiny and he didn't seem bothered by the plate, he would empty his food out. So actually what I would do is I would put a huge... I have a cheese board, a large slate, um, and he just used that, actually. We didn't use bowls with him until later because he just it just didn't work for him. He had this big slate, um, and yeah, sure, it was a bit liquidy with casserole and stuff, but he that was easier for him, and it meant he was eating rather than trying to insist on he had his food in a bowl. So it could be, you know, what happens if, and you've said plate, I don't know if you mean plate or bowl. I keep saying plate and I mean bowl. Um, what, would, what would it look like if you just actually remove the plate, remove the bowl completely and just let her eat directly from the table? Or have you got a really big, I don't know, a chopping board or a cheese board or something that you could use instead if you want to contain the food a little bit? If the, my, my question would be, okay, right, so, um, I'm going to say to you, get rid of the high chair, sit her on, a, sit her at a low table, like a coffee table, feet on the floor, um, plastic basically is, um, let, let me just say it now, plastic is a very, very unsatisfying material for a child. Do you know anybody who likes eating from a plastic plate? Nobody likes eating from a plastic plate. It is totally horrible. So put her on a low table and, and have her eat 
from a glass bowl with metal cutlery, with a glass beaker. When you're on a low table, even if they turn it over, it knocks on the floor. It doesn't matter so much. If they're up high, of course it's going to matter. Everything to do with um, feeding, resistance to do with, with, with feeding and eating, is be often because they feel a lack of control. So very quickly, um, issues come around sleep in toddlers, around um, you know potty training, bathroom independence, whatever we want to call it, and around eating in those three areas when children feel that they are out of control, when they don't have enough autonomy. When they feel more in control, they don't need to push the boundaries so much. So what can you do to give her more autonomy in the way that she's eating? My answer would be put her down at floor level. So she's on a low table and sitting on a, on a weaning chair. Um, the, the, I know that people love the sucker plates and all of these things, but it's taking it away from, you know, how would you feel if you were given a plate with suckers on the bottom, a plastic plate with suckers on the bottom? I mean, you know, that would be like dying a slow death for me. It's not, they need to have a real experience, an enriching experience as we do when we're eating. And I know that they're everywhere and I know they're really handy because they stop them from throwing, but the throwing is not the issue. What we want them to do is to enjoy their meal. We want to remove any barriers that that um, that make it a battle. Anything that can be removed to make it a battle. That's what we really, really want to do. So I hope that helps. Keep coming with any more questions if you um, if you have any. And I'll just check on... Uh, we've talked about grace, haven't we? Um, We've talked about laying laying the table. So when they are um, walking, make sure that the things that they need to lay the table are at a low shelf or a low cupboard in the kitchen. So, um, ah, okay. So this is a great question, Nona. Thank you. And I haven't got back got to it yet. So you a uh, low table and chair. She needs to be wedged in basically, and that's what I did to Olivia and Harry. I invited them to eat. Confirm that, <laughs> yeah, distraction. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? The age of distraction. Um, confirm that she is ready to eat. Confirm with her that when she leaves the table, that the meal will be finished. And obviously this is setting a really loving boundary with, uh, in a really calm voice, but firm voice, um, that this is meal time and we're gonna sit together and we're gonna eat. This is, um, some children are more distractible than others. It's just the repetition. And what I would do if it's an issue is wedge her against the wall. So I did with Olivia and Harry, the weaning chair and table. Once they were seated, then I would say, okay, we're going to eat. I'm going to push the table in and then you can let me know when you finish. You can leave the table whenever you like. However, the meal will be finished once you leave the table. I know that you have finished eating once you leave the table. Um, so wedge her in. Um, and I love that you're already eating at a low table and you're already using ceramic and wooden. Um, so, and obviously, if you're going to set this new um, ground rule about leaving the table and wedging her in, have a discussion with her beforehand. Talk to her about what you're going to be doing. Say the reasons that you need it to be doing and expect resistance. In the first couple of days that you put this in, expect resistance. You can give her maybe one chance, you know, because for the first week or so, 
she is going to need to get used to this and know what your ground rule is and be safe in that boundary and that ground rule that once she leaves the table. Um, and I still have to do it now with Olivia and Harry. I still have to put that almost six and three and a half, you know. The getting up and down from the table just kills me because they're so distracted. The kitten comes in and then one of their friends calls over the terrace and asks them to come out to play. You know, it's just endless <laughs> distractions. So still now I still have to enforce it, you know. And it's and it's that 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 loving boundary that when you get down from the table, I know you've finished. So I'm gonna remove the food. And it does take time. It really, really does. But what you're doing already is brilliant because you've got you've giving her the independence and you're giving her that opportunity to have a full sensory experience. I just feel that add a boundary around getting up and down from the table, wedge her so she can't get out, wedge her in the corner or against the wall or what have you. Um, and then just reinforce that the meal will be finished when she gets up because that's what she's telling me. Um, so I hope that helps. And let me see whatever else. <laughs> yeah it's really hard to trust actually and again thank you for saying that it's um it's really really hard to trust the process of um feeding and I remember my my first lactation consultant that I worked with in Cape Town when I had Olivia I really struggled with breastfeeding at the beginning with Olivia I think as everyone does with the first one right it's, it's so hard um and and she kept on saying to me Olivia is a mammal. She knows when she's hungry. She knows when she's not hungry. And those words kept on coming back to me and coming back to me and coming back to me as they grew older and resisting mealtimes or getting up and down from the table, as you're saying. Um, I just had to trust if I kept on saying the same thing, if I kept on offering and saying, are you sure you want to get down from the table? When you get down from the table, I know that you've finished and I'm going to clear away. And then over time, they... They learn to listen to their body's messages. They, because we're not feeding them, they start to they start to connect the dots. They realise what when their tummy's full and their tummy's not full. But to give you an indicator, Harry's three and a half. You know, quite often he will say he's finished, and he will get down from the table. And then a couple of minutes later, he will come back and floods of tears, going, "No, no, me still hungry, me still hungry." So even at three and a half, it's still a learning process. And I know that your daughter is younger than Harry. So it really is a process of um, we, we give them the tools so that they can listen to their body's messages, listen to what their body's saying to them when they're hungry or thirsty. And then we have to let go and trust that what we've done is enough and that over time, those skills will develop. Um, so yes. Don't follow her and feed her, okay? <laughs> I have a friend uh, who who asks me about this, and every time I say, stop following her and feeding her, so I'll say the same to you. <laughs> um, let me check on my list, um, everything. So when they're older, I want to say something about high chairs. When you are beyond this stage of um, of the weaning chair and table, and so we had the weaning chair and table initially, and then there became the stage where Harry would or Olivia would join us for certain meals so like if we were having a family meal he would join us at the table and so when we did have that we've got the it's a stock and copy actually the trip trap chair that they can climb up but the the low the lower step 
should be so that their um, feet can be at right angles. Their feet need to be placed. So if you are going to go for a high chair, once they have learnt to eat, once they're beyond that stage of testing and resisting, if you're going to go for a high chair, something that they can climb into independently, so they still have that getting in and out themselves. The um, the bottom, you have two steps on it. The bottom step needs to be so their feet can be at right angles. That's really, really important. And um, remove the tray. The, t the chair, um, high chair should be pushed up against the table so they are eating from the same surface that the adults and other family members are eating from. A tray just creates a separation. Again, this, um, this separateness, which means that they don't want to be part of the family experience. It means that they feel apart from it. They don't feel included, so they want to resist it again. So high chair, your golden rules. If you are going to be using one later, they need to be able to climb in and out. And they can do that from when they're crawling, you know. Depending on how much of a climber you had, you know, eight months, a baby could be climbing up into their high chair. I mean, Harry climbed into climbed up a step and then into our, one of our wingback chairs, which is quite high. I mean, he must have been seven months when he did that and it frightened the life out of me because he was just starting to pull up on things. So he pulled up, climbed into the high chair, the, the wingback chair, and was standing up fully, gripping on. Um, and he was still really, really little. So they can climb into a high chair. They obviously are going to need supervision. Um, the feet need to be flat on a flat surface so they can feel secure. It's all about feeling grounded. And remove the tray so they're pushed against the table. So that's what I'd like to say, those three things about high chairs. Um, we've said about holding spoons. We've said you don't need to show them how to eat. You don't need to feed them. Absolutely do not feed them. They are mammals. They know how to feed themselves. Absolutely, they know how to feed themselves. Um, they've watched you do it for six months or seven months or eight months. Um, offer a spoon, offer two spoons. Um, and as long as they're eating, it doesn't matter. As I said before, they're gonna get spaghetti in their ear. I've got some great photos of Olivia with like spaghetti on the back of her head when she was about eight months old. And they're gonna get everything everywhere. Um, if you are eating, if they're eating at their low table um, on a surface that isn't tiles, it's really handy to put a, a towel or an old sheet or something underneath to cover the whole area because then afterwards you can just scoop the whole thing up, shake it and then wash it. Um, on tiles it's quite easy, isn't it? It's great if you're here in Dubai like us, it's much easier to clean everything if you're on tiles. Um, what other little gems can I give you that are going to make this easier for you? Yeah, food prep. Everything about food becomes part of the rhythm of your day. Say a grace or a poem before you start your meal, and that becomes part of the ritual, part of the coming together, whether it's just yourself and your child, or it's the whole family, and then the dog is watching as well. Um, um, do, do, do. Oh, so what, um, what you do, um, Hannah, is you start off... Um, at the the low table with the parent opposite the baby for the initial stages and then you would all eat together as a family at this low table and then you can move to the high chair your child isn't eating on their own a low table you are opposite them the eye to eye contact is really important so that you're at the same height so you sit on the floor and they are on their their low table you're directly opposite them this is what's really important for that connection and that engagement for these early um, eating experiences. 
And then once they've got the hang of eating, yeah, they can go to a high chair, but they need to have their feet firmly placed. It needs to be something they can climb in and out of. Um, they need to be eating from ceramic and glass and using real cutlery. They need to be um, at the table, not separated from a tray. Do you see what I mean? Um, you're, it's part of your part of their world. The difference that you'll, you'll find with anything to do with Montessori is that we go into our child's world. And this is what's included in the eating. We're not expecting them to fit into an adult's world. We think to ourselves, what's the best thing for our child to be able to manage, to be able to um, be an active participant in this experience? And for eating, this is what it is. It's your low table to start with. So we're in their world, we're at their height. We're not picking them up and putting them something really high, which is so unnatural for them. We're getting down into their world at their level. Around them, they can see all the shelves, everything else prepared for them at their height. You've got um, a, a shelf in the kitchen where they can toddle off and grab their own bowl and their own spoon. Once they're piccolini and they're walking, they can lay the table for themselves. It's all about us going into their world um, and us experiencing their world at their height. And then gradually they come into the adult world. Um, but it's not them fitting into us, it's us fitting into them. And I appreciate that's a big, big shift from all of the messages that we're told about what it's like having a baby and what it's like having a child. And it's like, you know, oh, when I'm a mother, it's not going to change me and our life is going to be the same and everything's going to still be white and perfect. Um, but it's not like that, is it, as we find. Even for me, it was a shock, you know, <laughs> I kind of meant to know, know what I'm doing, but it really was a shock how different um, it was how different everything was, you know, in the way I felt and, and, and looking after this gorgeous little person and the feeding and the pain after a C-section and everything, you know, it's all really, really crazy. And, um, one last question. Uh, yes, um, Nunan, thank you for, it's a great question again. You remove the food. Um, because you are sending the message that they can't come and have a buffet backwards and forwards. What we want to avoid is the buffet, and that's because we want them to eat intentionally. Um, we want them to eat mindfully. We want them to get into that rhythm of sitting and eating as a family, even if it's just the two of us. Um, and also, the, the buffet becomes really, really messy because ideally you're going to be washing your hands at the beginning of a meal and you're going to be washing your hands at the end of a meal or a snack. And if they're coming back and forth to the buffet, it gets really messy all around the house, you know, with the white fingers on the sofa and the white fingers on your skirt and, you know, all of those things. So there's a couple of reasons, but I mean, mainly we just want them to be eating intentionally. So then they can listen to their body's messages. They can listen to, um, you know, when they're hungry, when they're full. But like all of us, you know, when we eat at a buffet, we eat a lot more. Or when we're watching TV, we eat a lot more. That's something I really need to say. Um, no distractions during, um, during meal times. No screens. Um, no toys at the table. Literally, eating is for the pleasure. You could maybe put on some, some gentle music in the background if you wanted. Or if you're eating outdoors, just listen to the birds. You know, we eat outdoors a lot or all the time in the, now. We're in the winter here in Dubai. Um, so don't put on don't put on music if you're eating outdoors. It's got to be really distraction free so that they can really really focus on the eating experience, that pleasure of that and that joy of that eating experience with you. And then when they've finished, 
they've finished, you remove the food from the table. Of course, when they're in that learning stage of that boundary and whether you mean it or not, they're going to push back and there's going to be a bit of a stage where you'll have this sort of beautiful dialogue, almost like a dance with your child, where they're testing, like, do you really, really mean that? Am I, are you really going to remove the food? And then you're going to be in that point of, oh no, my child's going to be hungry. What am I going to do? You know, and that's going to take a bit, there's a bit of a dance, kind of get used to, get used to that and kind of let, have some firm boundaries, but know that for the first couple of weeks of doing this, when you're removing the food, she's going to need to test. You're going to need to test. You're both going to need to trust each other. So that's okay, but don't leave the food on the table because she will come back for the buffet. Um, like we all do, right? We all pick. There's something on the side in the kitchen we're going to pick all day at it, aren't we? It's 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 normal. It's nothing. It's nothing bad that the that our children are doing. It's just it's just normal. So remove the food and put it to one side and cover it with a tea towel or something so she can't see it. Um, and then when she comes back and says, "I'm hungry. I want to eat," then you reaffirm. You got down from the table. I thought you'd finished. Um, would you like to resume? Would you like to sit back down and eat now? Um, and carry on like that and then gradually over time she's going to get used to it um, excuse me one moment my cat's meowing at the door so I'm just going to let him in sorry <laughs> um, oh yes and during your during your meal time Talk about your day, talk about the experience you've had, um, you know, tell the story of your day. If you're at supper time, you know, what did we do today? We saw that beautiful bird in the park, we went to the beach, or we went to meet a friend for coffee, or whatever it was, talk through talk through the day. The, you know, the art of conversation can really be developed during, during meal time. Um, and also, if you're in a multilingual household, this is a really good, um, or you maybe you even speak a, a little bit of another language, but you're not fluent. Um, a mealtime is a really great opportunity to um, bring in another language. So, for example, I, I speak um, French, and so often at mealtimes, we will um, we'll say grace in French, and then we'll do um, French songs or poems or stories in French during mealtimes and then I'm not confusing things by mixing two languages but it's sort of like a designated time where you could introduce another language um, and uh, yeah so that was all I want to say about that that just came to my mind um, yeah independence I think I've covered everything in my bullet points are there any more questions before we say goodnight it's been a really long one this evening goodness I've gone on for a long time <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your questions. We had great questions this evening. And I think that might be, if someone's writing a really long question, I think that might be everything. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. And I look forward to send me any questions for Top Tip Tuesday or any questions on anything, um, if you'd like me to answer them. I'm going to find some nice little videos of Olivia and Harry eating and put them on stories um, in the next couple of days and see what our setup looked like um, when we were at that stage. Um, thank you so much uh, for joining. Thank you so much, everybody. And if you need anything else, enrichingenvironments.com or send me a message. I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Take care. Lovely to see you all. Thank you. Bye-bye.